You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Hey, during this season leading up to Christmas, we've been kind of doing a series called 3D Christmas. And the truth is, is that you can't just see Christmas in one dimension or two dimensions, um, it, it, it has to be seen in 3D. And, and the problem is, is that a growing segment of our culture is kind of looking and seeing Christmas more and more in 2D. And more and more people kind of view Christmas more on the terms of when and what. When am I going to celebrate Christmas? When am I going to celebrate Christmas with my family, my children, my in-laws, my co-workers, my friends? And the other dimension, many people approach Christmas is by asking, what? What am I going to get so-and-so as a gift? What do I want as a gift? And again, for a growing segment of our culture, this is where the focus and the meaning of Christmas ends. Again, they simply see Christmas in 2D, when and what. But I believe for Christmas to really be truly meaningful and life-changing, we need to see Christmas in 3D, and we do that when we really ask the question, why? Why did God choose to take on flesh and to come to earth as a human being over 2,000 years ago? When we see Christmas in 3D, understanding the why of Christmas, again, we tend to find a deeper meaning and greater satisfaction in all of the ways that we choose to celebrate Christmas and live life in general. And I don't know about you, but it, it kind of just seems to me the closer we get to Christmas, the more hectic things kind of become. And the truth is, 48 hours from now, believe it or not, Some of you will be saying you are glad Christmas is over. Some of you will be saying, thank God it's done for another year, time to move on, time to kind of get things back to normal, because for some of you, Christmas can be a very stressful time of year if you're not careful. The gift giving, the decorations, the parties, family gathering, finances or lack of finances, along with, again, just the normal day-to-day routine just compounds the stress of Christmas. Unfortunately, in some families, when Christmas comes and families get together, oftentimes all of the unresolved and glossed over tension and the turmoil kind of just begins to slowly rise to the surface. Others are glad Christmas is over because, again, it just reminds them of happier times in the past or maybe a loved one has died and they're no longer around and it's just, again, a painful reminder of the loss. Whatever the reason, some people are just glad Christmas is over. For others of you, some of you would love Christmas just to go on forever. You look forward to it every year. You have very fond memories of Christmas past. You look forward to adding new memories uh, to uh, this year. Children love Christmas and would love every day to be Christmas, especially when it comes to the presents. And, you know, children kind of have a way of being brutally honest when it comes to presents. I read a story about a child who was supposed to write a thank you letter 
for his Christmas present that he got from his aunt. And here's what he wrote. He said, Dear Aunt Sarah, thank you for the Christmas present you sent me. The present you sent me for Christmas was almost as good as the one I really wanted. I remember growing up as a child, and I loved the days leading up to Christmas almost as much as Christmas Day itself. Part of what I really looked forward to and really loved was just the anticipation of Christmas. And I knew once Christmas was over, it was another long 365 days until the next one. And so for me, I never wanted Christmas to come because I knew once it would be over, I would just feel kind of this sense of letdown. And I just wanted to linger in that perpetual state of Christmas forever. The truth of the matter is, and I want to talk about this this morning When you really begin to understand again the true meaning and message of Christmas, the why of Christmas, you know what? Christmas can have forever aspects. One of the greatest Christmas verses uh, found in the Bible is John 3.16, and I know most people don't generally associate or think of John 3.16 in terms of Christmas, but I think it has some very strong connections to Christmas For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Christmas was God giving us an awesome gift. The birth of his son Jesus Christ who came to bring us who were perishing everlasting life. You know, when you read the Gospels, especially Matthew and Luke, they kind of give you uh, the perspective uh, of of Jesus uh, kind of from a human or an earthly perspective. They kind of give you the historical details surrounding the birth of Jesus. They talk about the census, the journey to Bethlehem, the star, the manger, the visit of the shepherd and the wise men, the angelic visitation uh, to Mary and the shepherds. You find the reactions of Simeon and Anna there in the temple, and there you kind of get the story of Jesus' birth from a historical point of view. However, when you turn to other parts of the New Testament, especially you start getting into Paul's writings, there you find the birth of Jesus talked about more from a spiritual or a theological perspective. And rather than here was how Jesus was born, you get into the why Jesus was born. And I believe both perspectives are critically important and necessary. And this morning, I want to just turn your attention to one of those places in the New Testament, a book called Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, it is a magnificent book because the writer of Hebrews takes everything that was familiar to the Jewish Christians of that day and he holds it up alongside the Lord Jesus Christ. When the writer of Hebrews looks at everything that was a part of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and he compares it to the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, Jesus is better. This is good, but Jesus is better. He takes the Old Testament system of sacrifices, and he puts that up alongside the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says, Jesus is better. 
He takes the Old Testament high priest and he puts them alongside the Lord Jesus Christ and he says, Jesus is better. He takes Moses and he puts him alongside the Lord Jesus Christ and he says, Jesus is better. As a matter of fact, one of the resounding themes of Hebrews is the word better. And it occurs 13 times in the book of Hebrews. So Hebrews' aim is really to kind of show us the absolute supremacy, sufficiency, and superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's one of the purposes of the book of Hebrews. Jesus Christ as someone better than his work, something better than anything else in Judaism or religion. So this morning I want to just look at three ways in which Hebrews chapter 1 kind of gives us that perspective that Christmas has some forever aspects. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, I would invite you to open up to Hebrews chapter 1. I've given you some pretty detailed notes this morning. First thing I want to talk about is Christmas is forever because Jesus is better than the prophets. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, says this, Long ago God spoke many times. And in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days he has spoken to us through his son. Now the writer of Hebrews begins by contrasting Jesus to the prophets. You've got to understand the role of the prophets in that day was significant. It was pivotal to the life of the Jewish nation. For the most part the Jewish people held the prophets in very, very high regard. The Jews always believed the prophets to be a part of the secret counsels of God. As a matter of fact, Amos 3.7 captures that belief and it says, Surely the Lord God will do nothing but he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. So the writer of Hebrews, he's recognizing the high regard and respect in which the Jewish people held the prophets And so he has to acknowledge that the prophets were great in order to show them why Jesus is greater. The prophets were good, the writer says, but Jesus is better. And one of the ways Jesus is shown to be superior to the prophets is in what Jesus spoke compared to what the prophets spoke. One of the reasons what Jesus spoke is superior to what the prophets spoke is because what the prophets spoke of and revealed about God was fragmentary. What Jesus spoke of and revealed about God was as full and as complete as it would ever be. One of the most interesting differences between what the prophets spoke and what Jesus spoke is that the prophets were pretty much characterized by just one idea. They kind of just had one theme, one focus. For example, Amos was a prophet who championed social justice. Isaiah's predominant theme, his focus was God's holiness. Hosea, whose wife Gomer, leaves him to become a prostitute and ultimately a slave presents to us the wonder of God's faithfulness and his forgiving love. And so every prophet, out of their own experience in life, out of the experience of the nation of Israel, each prophet grasped and expressed a fragment of the truth of God. 
No prophet, no matter how greatly used of God they were, no one prophet had a grasp of the whole truth and whole revelation of God. But with Jesus, it was totally different. Jesus is not a fragment of the truth. Jesus was the full truth. Jesus said of himself in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Again, Jesus says, I am not partial truth. I am the truth. The prophets spoke about truth. Jesus is the truth. The prophets pointed the way to Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way. The prophets talked about life, and Jesus said, I am life. John 1, 14, I'm going to talk about that more tonight. It says that when Jesus, who was God, became flesh and dwelt among us, the Bible says he was full of grace and truth. Do you realize no prophet, no matter how greatly used of God they were, no prophet was full of grace and truth. They may have had some grace and some truth, but only Jesus Christ was full of grace and truth. In the person of Jesus Christ, God the Father displayed not just some part of himself, but God revealed all of himself. Much of what the prophets spoke about, again, were, the, were, were directed toward a certain group of people, maybe at a certain point in history. When Jesus came and he spoke, he speaks to all humanity regardless of time. Jesus' words are just as relevant for us today as they were when he first spoke them, and they will continue to be just as relevant for future generations until Jesus comes back. There is no expiration date for what Jesus says. His words are just as true now as they are when they were first spoken. The prophets, they were the spokesmen of God. Jesus is the son of God. The prophets were the friends of God, but Jesus was the son. The prophets grasped part of the mind of God, but Jesus was and expressed the mind of God. Now again, the purpose of the writer of Hebrews, it's not to belittle the prophets. They had their place. They served their purpose in God's plan Hebrews is not attempting to dismiss or to minimize what the prophets did, but rather to acknowledge their part, hold up, celebrate what they did, and said next to what Jesus said and did, and then declare Jesus' supremacy to that of the prophets. Hebrews is simply saying the prophets were good, but Jesus was better. The prophet spoke partial truth. Jesus speaks the complete truth. So Jesus is better and he outranks the prophets. Second Christmas is forever because Jesus is better than the angels. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows us that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. 
Once again, there is this side-by-side comparison of angels and Jesus, and it begins there in chapter 1, verse 3. And I want you to understand, that comparison continues through the end of chapter 2. Now, I tell you that because this is significant because I think it reveals something to us of the high place belief in angels had in the thought of the Jewish people of that day. Isn't that interesting? The writer of Hebrews deals with the significant role and regard of the prophets among the Jews in two verses. And then he spends the remainder of chapter one and all of chapter two to deal with the significance and the high regard the belief of angels held in that day. At the time of the writing of this book, the belief in angels was very, very strong and growing. The reason for this was the people were more and more impressed with what they called uh, the transcendence of God. In other words, the Jews of that day felt there was just this great gulf separating them from God. And the distance of that gulf was just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And as a result of this ever-widening gap They came to believe more and more of the angels as intermediaries between God and mankind. They came to believe that the angels were the ones that kind of bridged that gulf between God and mankind. And that God spoke to mankind through the angels. And the angels were kind of the ones who carried the prayers of mankind into the presence of God. So to the Jew of that day... Angels played a very significant role and they were held in very high regard just like the prophets, maybe even more so than the prophets and that may be why the writer commits more time to talking about the role of angels versus the role of the prophets. So given this enormous respect and high regard the Jews held in their belief of angels, the writer of Hebrews understands The necessity of demonstrating that the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, was far greater, far more superior than the angels. That whoever knew the Son of God had no need of angels to be his intermediary with God. And so the writer of Hebrews does this by choosing what are for him a series of of Proof text in which the son is given a higher place, a higher name than is given to any angel. So you'll see as you kind of read through the rest of Hebrews chapter 1, the writer there quotes from the Old Testament in places like Psalm 2, 7. He, he quotes from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14, Psalm 97, verse 7, Deuteronomy 32, uh, verse 43, as well as other scriptures. And he's doing all of that to support his point that Jesus is far greater and outranks the angels. Again, the writer is attempting to put the doctrine of angels back into their proper perspective and to reintroduce and to reinforce that it is only through Jesus Christ that mankind has access back into the very presence of God the Father. 
The writer to Hebrews lays down the great truth that there is no other man or supernatural being besides Jesus who is able to bring us into the presence of God and to establish you and I before the Father as holy and blameless. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, his shed blood, Jesus Christ broke down every barrier and opened a direct way for you and I to access God the Father directly. And here's the point the writer of Hebrews is making. It says that the angels, they were messengers and they announced messages. Jesus is the message Angels are servants of God and ministers of salvation. Jesus is the Son of God, and through his broken body, his shed blood, he purchased our salvation. Jesus is the Son of God. The angels, they gather around the throne. Jesus is different. He is better because he is on the throne. Jesus is better, far superior, and outranks the angels. Third, Christmas can have forever aspects because Jesus is better than the universe. Hebrews chapter one, verse 10 says, he, God the Father, also says to the Son, Jesus, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and made the heavens with your hands They will perish, but you will remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will fold them up like a cloak and discard them like old clothing. But you are always the same. Again, he's referring to Jesus. You will live forever. Did you catch that? The writer of Hebrews is telling us one day, The universe will collapse, but Jesus Christ will continue on and on forever. And no matter how carefully, how gently we treat the planet, one day it is going to completely fail and no amount of carbon reduction is going to prevent it. I'm not advocating that we go out and we abuse and we trash the earth. But we also have to balance that and we need to realize no matter how hard we try, one day this earth is going to come to an end. You know the biggest problem the world has? There's a lot of problems out there. The biggest problem the world has is not war, it's not terrorism, it's not hunger. The biggest problem the world has, the greatest polluter of the earth, is sin. Sin has done more damage to the planet than any man-made carbon dioxide ever will. Global sin is much worse and has caused more damage than global warming ever will. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans 8, 20, he said, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Sin has caused more damage to the earth and those who live upon it than any other force known to this world. 
And the Bible says the remedy for this is one day God is going to destroy the current heavens and earth and God is going to usher, he's going to bring forth a new heaven and a new earth. And this is part of John's vision that he had there on the island of Patmos and he records that very thing in Revelation 21 verse 1 and and John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth said, for the first heaven, the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Sin has cursed, marred, and altered this earth, and God's plan is to destroy it, to bring forth, to usher in a new heaven and a new earth, free from any hint of contamination of sin. This world, the Bible's telling us, and everything in it, will one day end and be destroyed, but Jesus Christ will live on for all eternity. That's the point the writer of Hebrews is attempting to make. He said, this current world will one day end, but the reign and the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ will never come to an end. Do you realize nothing in this universe is going to last? One day, the Bible says, all of the stars are going to fall from their sockets like sparks of fire in a fireplace. The sun is rapidly dying right now. It's burning itself out at a rate of 4.2 million tons a second. Interestingly, someone once said to Mark Twain, have you heard that the world is coming to an end? And Twain's response was not to worry, we can get along without it. Twain was right. That's why it's so foolish for people to put their stakes down in something that's not lasting. That's why it's so foolish for people to live only for this life with no reference to eternity. That's why it makes no sense to wrap your life up in the material things of this world and never give any thought or attention to the spiritual realities of eternity. You are not just a body. You are a spirit and a soul. Your earthly body will one day die and go to the grave unless Jesus returns. But your soul and your spirit, they are going to be alive forever somewhere. This universe will collapse, but the writer of Hebrews says, take heart, be encouraged. Jesus outlasts the universe. Verse 11 says, they shall perish, but thou remainest. Cities will come crumble and collapse. Jesus will remain. Your loved ones, your friends, they're going to grow old and die, but Jesus remains. Your body will grow weak. One day it will succumb to death, but Jesus remains. He's the same. Hebrews 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Christmas forever means that whether it's today or whether it's tomorrow, whether it's the next day or whether it's a billion years from now, Jesus Christ will still be the same and will still meet all of your needs. He's still gonna be your savior, your redeemer, your healer. There will never be a time in eternity where Jesus will not be on the throne of God. Take heart. No matter what's happening around you today, no matter what may be falling apart in your life, what may be crumbling around you, Jesus Christ 
has got you. He's in control. So I think the whole point the writer of Hebrews is trying to make is this, whatever you are ultimately putting your faith and trust in outside of Jesus Christ will eventually fail you. Trusting in prophets, Jesus is better. Trusting in a pastor, a televangelist, a mullah, another Christian, the writers of Hebrews would tell you Jesus is better. Trusting in carbon tax credits to save the earth, Jesus is better. Trusting in crystals and icons, a rabbit's foot, Jesus is better. And the writer is saying regardless of what you are trusting in, Jesus is always and forever better and will never let you down. He will never fail you. He will never leave you, forsake you, nor abandon you. That's the whole point the writer's trying to make in Hebrews chapter 1. Trusting in anything else other than Jesus is misplaced and ultimately, eventually, it's going to fail you. A mail carrier tragically lost his wife in an accident just a few weeks before Christmas. And as anyone would be, he was just overcome with profound grief. And right before Christmas, he was working late in the post office. And he was sorting through letters that had been written to Santa Claus. And he came across a letter with his own home address on it. Curious, he opened it. And it was signed by his only daughter. And here's what she wrote. Dear Santa, my mommy died two months ago. Since then, my daddy has been crying himself to sleep at night. He says, only eternity will heal him. Will you please send a little bit of eternity to my dad this Christmas? See, in the midst of all the celebrations of Christmas, could it be that the greatest gift we need is just a little bit of eternity this Christmas. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, he says, The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is a gift that keeps on giving. So if you've not done that, if you'll just invite Jesus Christ into your heart and your life, you'll just confess your sins. Confess your need of a savior. The Bible says you can have Christmas forever. Amen? Let's stand together this morning. Maybe there are just some areas this morning as you're kind of sitting here and thinking of all that's kind of happened maybe in the last month, the busyness of Christmas, and maybe you just kind of find you've gotten lost in some of that, or maybe you kind of just feel like you've kind of misplaced some things, you know, despite how hard you tried to keep everything in balance, and maybe you kind of get here this morning and you're kind of just feeling like, man, I, I just kind of feel uh, just torn. I, I feel kind of fragmented in, in where I'm at in, in Christmas. And I want to just invite you this morning just to kind of take a moment and, and just allow yourself to just come before God and just ask him to quiet 
to settle, to just direct your hearts this morning, to help you refocus if that's what you need this morning, to get the focus maybe off of whatever it is over here and to get the focus on him. He is the reason. He is the focus of Christmas. So maybe this morning that's just a time for us just to shift and to realign our hearts with him. To know that no matter what is going on out there, no matter how good it is, no matter how good the gifts are that you've got or how good the gifts are you hope to receive, Jesus is better. And that's really what this is all about. Again, a lot of times we kind of come to Christmas and we kind of think, you know, Jesus is good, but man, gifts are better. And then we kind of go through that whole process and then there's just a sense of letdown. No matter how good it is, it just doesn't last. The feelings don't last forever. But again, as we make Jesus the focus and the reason for everything that we do, he has a way of just helping us, again, just to focus on the importance of him Again, as Callie talked about, just again, being able to focus on the beauty of his name, the beauty of his character. And that's really what Christmas is. Christmas is an opportunity for God to reveal his beauty, for God to reveal his magnificence to us through his son, Jesus Christ. So I just pray this morning, Father, that as we come before you this morning, that God, you would just capture our hearts at a new and a deeper level this morning. For some here this morning, God, their, their view of Christmas, their view of you in Christmas is very fuzzy, it's very unfocused, it's very unclear. And Father, I thank you through the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit this morning that you have a way of bringing all of that into a very clear picture and an understanding in our hearts and in our spirits. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that no matter what we have put our hope, wherever we have placed our trust, that regardless of what we think is good, Father, I pray that you would, again, just realign our hearts to know that Jesus is better. He is far superior. He is far greater than anything else or anyone else upon this earth. So Father, as we just begin this day and tomorrow of celebrating Christmas, celebrating the birth of your son, God, I pray, Lord, that again, you'll realign, refocus our hearts, that we can come and truly prepare a place for you, that we can come and truly say that you are greater, you are far superior, and nothing will ever outlast you. And we thank you for this. We thank you again for sending your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you again for the greatest gift that could ever be given, your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, help us to celebrate him in the midst of all of our celebrating. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.